I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. I did watch two of your videos before we started. Oh my god, and which ones? Okay, first of all, the chicken tikka masala versus the, the butter chicken. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I will say this. Uh-huh. Chicken vindaloo wins hands down. Oh, interesting. So you like the spicy. Okay, well, yeah. now we have to test this when we finally get lunch in New York. By the way, I don't know if Yvonne Chapman is going to be listening. Hi, Yvonne. How are you? Hope you're amazing. Hi, thanks so much for being here with me. I'm Evelyn, and this is Reppin. Growing up, my next guest noticed the lack of Asian representation in media, and what very little he did see on screen were Asians being portrayed as undesirable misfits. Recognizing this and also understanding roles for Asians were extremely scarce. He knew the odds were against him if he wanted to become an actor. But this did not stop him from pursuing his dreams he saw that the system wasn't working for Asian representation, and he thought, I want to fix this. There has to be a better way. And since then, he's appeared in Maze Runner, How to Get Away with Murder, Grey's Anatomy, and most recently, he was on CW's Kung Fu as Simon Lau. He's also a content creator who's collaborated with Wong Fu Productions, which has 3.2 million subscribers, and Linda D Productions, which has 17.9 million followers and his own audience of almost 200,000 followers. Today, he's going to share his stories of how he's working to break the barriers down, changing how society views Asians, and how it feels to know that he's a part of a group that has now opened the doors for the generations who follow. He's a talented actor, content creator, and he is a master of puns. Pull up a chair as I continue kicking off 2023 and celebrating Chinese New Year with Mike Bo. Thank you so much for making time to come on the podcast. How have you been? Because I know you're still out in LA. You look great. So how have you been? Oh, thank you. You look great as well. You have excellent taste in uh, in color backgrounds, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, my, yeah, I've been really good. We last because last time I saw you was in the summer. Now, yeah, 
And it's essentially winter time. It's about to be winter time. Things have been really good since I've seen you. I was filming Kung Fu. And then now the episodes have come out and I've been getting a lot of response. So yeah. like the, cause the fans, you know, helped bring me back. So now I had to like, felt like I was filming a Marvel movie. I couldn't say like, I'm friends with the whole cast, right? And we're hanging out, going out in Vancouver town at night and stuff. And all the selfies, it's like, oh, crop Mike out. We got to yeah. crop him out because no one, because the fans can't know that he's back because I died. Right. So it's a big reveal. Yes. But you're, you're back better than ever, actually. Oh, you know, you know, come on. Not easy being a spirit, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the fan reaction has been great and doing a lot of interviews and stuff. Well, first of all, congratulations on coming back. Kung Fu is a show that we certainly need a lot more of on TV, and that's a conversation we'll get into. But um, also your character was just so much fun and so much energy. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to kind of step in your shoes, to know that the fan response was to bring you back, to have that kind of support? And what kind of ride it's been for you as an actor? That was really moving and really touching for me. So this whole journey of getting on Kung Fu was an arduous one to begin with, because I originally, in February 2020, and in pilot season, the actor pilot season, I got really far in the process of the brother role, the Ryan role. So I was testing for it in all these stages. I was like, first audition, callback. Actually, it was like even a struggle to get the first audition, right? Then I got that and then the callback and then, okay, cool. Next day, you're going to go to producers. Next day, oh, they like you. You're going to test at studio. Next day, you're going to test. Okay, they like you again. They want you're going to test in network. So it was like a crazy week. It was like really Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was like a crazy week. And the waiting room was all my waiting room friends. It was like Olivia, Shannon, Eddie, these people who I knew because back in the day, we're all auditioning for the same one role, like the one Asian role in the ensemble. And now it was like, wait a second. We're all not against each other. We're like, oh my God, if I don't get it, you get it. There's a role for each of us. It was down to me and JP, the awesome John Prasida, who ended up getting the role. And we became friends during that whole process because we're like, oh my God, like, this is so great. You're going to get this and then it's going to become huge. So it was that whole process. I ended up not getting it. And then the casting director called me in for another role. I auditioned for that role too. Didn't get that one. Casting director. Wait, what was that one? In season one, there's there's like a brand, a clothing brand within the show. And he's like the founder of the brand. Uh, yeah, okay. I think it's an Easter egg still. There's uh, people wear his brand. Okay, gotcha. But then they call me in for this K-pop role. I just remember that. And then I get that. That's awesome. Yeah. So then I was just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And I was like, okay, you know what? I read the script. He dies in one episode. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to picture this as the most high budget reel of what I could do ever. Because there's a lot of stunts, there's a lot of fun action stuff. Yeah. My whole thing is I want to be like a, a charismatic Asian superhero vibe. That's my thing. Uh-huh. This character is like that. He's a K-pop star who's secretly a warrior. He's like this alter ego. So he's this dual identity. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. Show him what I can do. After I did it, of course I die. That's why it meant so much that the fans and creators of the show and everyone who worked on it gave me such a warm response oh my God, this was such a good episode. People love your character. It was so rewarding because I was like, oh my God, I guess I achieved what I set out to do. And then when I was hearing about people wanting to bring me back, I'm like, okay, this is like a fantasy. This is a dream. If this happens, that's literally like a dream come true. And then when it finally happened, even filming it, I was like, okay, you could just pinch me and then say, this didn't actually happen. You're not, we weren't brought back. And I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's too good to be true. So it's been amazing. You are a beloved character. When you first meet him, he's kind of cocky, a little bit cheeky. Mm-hmm. But man, you kick some ass. You and Yvonne, that whole action sequence was so much fun to watch. And so it really encapsulated the, yeah. the different levels for Simon because we, we first meet and he's this winky showbiz mm-hmm. guy, right? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he is a warrior and then he is a fighter. Mm-hmm. And all of this is happening in this one episode. So I'm thrilled that you're back. And I'm so glad that we can talk about it here. You know what? Also, to have that kind of fan response, that's pretty awesome, Mike. Yeah, I'm so grateful. Yeah. And also give a shout out to Andrew Chin, the stunt coordinator, and Viet Nguyen, the director. I could have asked for a better team to handle that because they made it all come together. Now that I'm getting more rolled and being on more sets and like seeing the production. Yeah. Acting is really like a sport. Mm -hmm. And we had the perfect team and we went in and everyone 
performed amazingly and, and complimented each other. And so just shout out to those guys and the whole team. It was so much fun to watch you guys all play with Olivia Lang and, of course, Yvonne Chapman, who played Nikki Shen and Jalan. It was really a major fight sequence uh, and you were swinging around a ball and chain with spikes. Mm. I will tell you that I'm a huge klutz. So even playing with that prop, I would have ended up in the hospital with that chain ball thing that you guys were playing with. Yeah, there's many outtakes. I destroyed my hotel room practicing. Yeah, I'm sure the people like who cleared out my room were getting it ready for the next test were like, what the... What happened? <laughs> he seemed like such a nice boy. Yeah, he's yeah, he seems so quaint. Can you give audiences a sense of your ethnicity, your background, and what your upbringing was like as a kid? Yeah, I'm third generation Asian American. So my great grandfather on my Chinese side came to America for the American dream. And oh. uh, that's my Chinese side. And I'm, I'm half Korean as well. So third generation, meaning because a lot of people want to say third generation, they're like, oh, what does it mean? The third generation who came here or third generation who was born here? So third generation born here because my great grandfather came, then my right. grandfather was born here, then my dad was born here, and then I'm born here. So number three. And they came to New York and both sides, my Korean side and my Chinese side. That's where my parents met because they both grew up in Flushing, Queens mm -hmm. and are still there to this day. And they met in high school, but didn't date until after high school, but they've been best friends since high school. And I was yeah raised in New York my whole life. And mm -hmm. they didn't really have as many Asian friends as I did because they were like some of the only Asians back in the 70s. So when I was growing up in New York, way more Asians, way more diverse. But they were kind of like first generation. They brought the kimbap to school for lunch. Right. And they talked about like the K-pop, K-dramas and kids. So they were introducing it to me because my household, we had spaghetti, we had ham and cheese sandwiches, okay. we gr grew up on Hocus Pocus, Disney Channel. So yeah, that's my life. It's, oh, like uh, meeting other Asian friends who are introduced me to Asian stuff. But at the same time, I clearly am Asian. And so, oh, I'm like non-Asians see me as 100% Asian, you know, as well. So I'm like, it's weird in between sometimes. Where right. they're like, oh, you must know how to speak all your Asian languages and know everything about your culture. But I don't like because I, I, yeah, Chinese and Korean, I, I actually don't know how to speak either language because my parents didn't speak it to each other. Gotcha. Right. My mom, who's Korean, doesn't know how to speak Korean either. So yeah, I'm this textbook Asian American, <laughs> like Asian American, just like you, like what you're saying, right? Like you're, what generation are you again, Evelyn? I'm first generation. Oh, you are first generation. Okay. So I was born here, yeah. but yeah, I yeah. guess my thing is, I, relate to you and I also relate to your parents because I was one of the very few Asian kids in this predominantly Italian neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I had weird lunches. I never really fit in. Mm -hmm. So I was too Asian for the Italian Americans and I was too white for the three or four Asians, be it Korean or Chinese. Right. So it was kind of a weird time. But being that you had more diversity growing up, did you have any sort of struggle or difficulty in finding where you belong? For sure, because even though it's more diverse in real life, I think Hollywood and mainstream commercial media, the diversity was not there growing up. True. So the representation for Asians was bad and socially not cool. Mm -hmm. So me as this person who was raised, I guess, not as super Asian, but then people are like saying, oh, no, you are Asian. I'm like, okay, then as a kid, you're kind of examining, okay, what is Asian then? Okay, what am I supposed to be? Right. And then you see a lot of the examples and then you're like, oh, okay, on TV and stuff, these people are seeing like he's like the geeky kid maybe or the math nerd or whatever, or not the romantic interest, not the one that the girl likes. Right. Just the best friend of the girl. So you're saying I have to be that? I think there's something that a lot of Asian Americans have to deal with where they have had to reconcile with that. And then sometimes they, in a way, try to reject it. They're okay, I'm not like that. Right. So you're like, don't treat me like that. I'm not like an undesirable social stereotype. I'm a normal person. So don't treat me like, quote unquote, Asian. Right. So I think that happens a little bit. And I've seen that happen with other Asian friends growing up. It sucks. It's so damaging because then, because you're essentially like, yeah, rejecting your, heritage or your Asian-ness, which is not cool, but it's growing pain yeah, think that it, happens. Yeah. I think you said that really beautifully. And I think that this has come up in some other conversations. And 
there's so many ways that you can approach it. So I had Genevieve Kang on the show who was on Netflix's Lock and Key. Mm-hmm. She's half Portuguese and half Chinese. Mm-hmm. And she was also talking about how she only saw blonde hair, blue eyed girls. And I also had another conversation with Osric Chow, who I think you're... Yes. Do you know him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you probably know him. Yeah. He's great. But he actually says something about even how anime characters were predominantly white. And I actually asked my mom, you know, when I was little, if I could get a nose job because I didn't look like anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I know that you posted recently a really beautiful post on your Instagram, pictures of you as a kid with the traditional bowl cut that we all had as Asians, right? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Tom, for the cut. Yeah, seriously. It's the rite of passage, yeah. It is. But you did have this beautiful post about how when you were growing up, you wanted to be the lead. You wanted to be the superhero. But anywhere we looked, there was nobody that looked like us on screen. So how do you think it impacted you then and colored how you see things today? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the blonde hair, blue eyed thing, because that's so true to my origin story. So as a kid, I'm a huge nerd. And there's video footage of me wearing a Batman mask in my diaper running around my mom's like, oh, hi, Michael. What are you doing? And I'm just like super serious. I'm not Michael. I'm Batman. I always loved like those superheroes and wanting to be the, that superhero. And I loved Harry Potter when that came out. So when I saw the Harry Potter movies, that, that's when I first realized, oh, acting is a job because there were kids. I mm-hmm. saw the interviews yeah. and there were like kids talking about how they auditioned. I'm like, oh, wait a second. These aren't real characters. These are human beings. This is a job to actually spread this much magic around the world that literally affects me as a fan. So I asked my mom, I was like, mom, can you help me? This is me as a 10-year-old kid. Can you help me get an agent? Is that how things work? Like, how does this work? At the time, we only had one actor friend, and she was my sister's best friend, this blonde, blue-eyed girl. And uh, she Uh is a child actor who auditions. And my mom was like saying, look, she does this, Michael, and it's hard for her. And you see people that look like her on TV all the time. Do you see anyone that looks like you on TV? And that was the first time I was confronted with my Asian-ness or my otherness. Oh, got it. The world sees me as different. This is a, a hurdle that I was born into. But I don't know if it was a mixture of stubbornness or determination. I was like, yeah, I want to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, if the roles aren't there, all right, well, let's change that. So I'm riding off the coattails of that. I love that. But when you first hear that, as children were all still developing... I think there are a lot of adults who still don't know who they are yet. But yeah. as a kid, certainly you're more susceptible to feedback that hits more impactfully. Yeah. So when you heard that and you figured you were, quote unquote, other, yeah. even though you were in a more diverse neighborhood, even though you saw more people around you in your friend group or acquaintances, much more so than I did. Mm. How did that hit you, even though ultimately you were still like, yeah, let me do this. But how did it color how you see things? And even today, do you take that with you or has it, is it something that you manage or how did that hit you? Because we're still dealing with lack of representation yeah. today. It's a handicap, right? It was like a, a, a weakness, I guess, that was thrust upon me right. in this construct of, you want to be an actor? This is a hurdle you have to get over. Through the lens of society, yes. Through the lens of society. As I've been psychoanalyzing myself, I like see the weaknesses and I almost want to be like, no, let's fix that. Because, for instance, I know I seem extroverted and talkative now, but at my base, at my nature, I am like this shy little kid. You? Me, yeah. Like my core. So as a little kid, whenever my mom was like, oh, say, Michael, say hi to aunt, whatever, I would be the one who was like burying my head in her lap. You know how there's like the talkative kids who are running yeah, around? I thought everyone that would loves be you. Since day one in elementary school. I am, I'm like an introvert who tries really hard to be an extrovert. For real? So this is all for me wanting to, I guess fix myself yeah because i always saw those kids and those kids made me more shy i'm like you guys are so confident how are you talking to everyone being the teacher's favorite and then all the kids want to be your best friend i was always kind of like the more timid one when this acting stuff happened my mom was like okay well if you want to do this you got to prove it to me you say you want to be an actor but you haven't auditioned for anything or you don't go to any acting classes prove it to me so i'm like okay i'll prove it to you and then thinking, like, how do I prove it myself? I have to audition for plays. Auditioning for plays is the hardest thing for a kid like me. I'm just like, oh, my God, wait, I'm the shy kid. And I have to go on stage and put myself out there. And this is also, t- speaking more about representation, this is the time of William Hung, like American Idol. Oh, no. 
Talk about reinforcing a stereotype. Right. So at this time, there's nothing in my head, but auditions are a time to get laughed at and made fun of and, and audiences to point and laugh. So that's not helping me either. Wait, did you get that at your auditions? That's just my psyche of like, oh, oh this okay, is what auditions gotcha. are. Yeah. But again, psychoanalyze myself now. I was like, okay, this is like something like a weakness, a handicap, but I want to fix it. There must be a better way. I want to fight this. Yeah. So audition for that first school musical. And luckily that first role too was for a claustrophobic guy trapped in an elevator. So that was method. I couldn't feel any of my extremities. The lines were real. It was organic. I was just like, oh my God, like, I am like, what the fuck? And then I blacked out that whole audition for that school musical. Then I didn't end up getting that role, but I got a supporting role. And then I kept auditioning for more and more school plays. And then I got higher and higher roles and then started breaking out of my shell. And then I ended up actually becoming student body president at the end of all that. That's awesome. Because like, I got notoriety from the plays. So yeah, it's like slowly chipping away and making progress on that. Yeah. I recognize, oh, okay, this is how I am, but I could fix this. I don't want to be this way. This is a shy kid. This is not serving me. Right. I love that. And it's so interesting that you say you're an introvert because that would be the last thing I would think about you because you're so gregarious and friendly and warm. I was also really shy. I actually hid under the tables for the first eight years of my life because I was so shy. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. In your post, and certainly we've talked about this in person as well, and we'll talk about it here, is that, and we have talked about it here, is that there was no representation when we looked around. And to your mom's point, if a white person with blonde hair and blue eyes that looked like the all-American dream was having a hard time in acting, what were your odds? So you were very pointed and beautiful in terms of saying that you didn't see anyone that looked like you, so you weren't sure if there was a place for you. Mm -hmm. But what does it feel like now 
to be on a show that features all Asians, to be a character that the audience loved so much that rooted for you to come back and you are back. And to know there's three big steps here. One, there were no shows on TV had anybody that looked like us. Now there is. Two, as kids, we looked around and we didn't see anybody that looked like us unless we were importing shit from overseas. And now you're on and your fans made enough noise to bring your character back. And three, what is it like for you to know that you have changed what you experienced as a kid for someone like you today? I was trying to make me cry right now. This is crazy. Yeah, you're right. As a kid, I was like, it was like pure, like, um, woo, Evelyn, good, good job bringing the tears. Jeez. Are you okay? It's been a, it's been a journey. These are big moments. The fact that you're sharing your talents and that you were undeterred despite what was against us in that time, not because people were purposefully like going, no, but the horrible thing is like, that was just the way it was back then. And now to know that you not only went and just did your thing, Mike, the fact that there is a show now that features all Asians and also movies like Crazy Rich Asians. And it was just a great rom-com that happened to be Asians. I want to point out something that you did say. And I'm really sorry. I really didn't mean to make you so emotional. No, no, no. no. This is. It's, it's... I grew up also thinking it was like being Asian was undesirable. The, the sort of social outcast. People came up to me in the school bus and was like calling me Long Duck Jong from 16 Candles. You're probably too young to remember this, but please go back and watch it. I know it. the rap. No, yeah, I totally know. Yeah. Okay. But now to see beautiful, sophisticated, modern Asian faces, to know that what we had no longer exists because of you, because of Yvonne, because of the cast of Kung Fu, the writers, and all the people working both on screen and off screen to create opportunities in all the different genres and just in all different industries. You guys have changed what the kids now have. They will not know what we know. I'm not on screen. I'm very much behind the scenes. But for you to really sit back and see where you were to where you are now and to know that you have been a part of a group of people that have changed what is possible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly... It's overwhelming. Um, what's striking me in the way you're so eloquently putting it is, yeah, when I was a kid, the logistics were not there. I wasn't making like a data-driven response, like, okay, cool, got it. No Asian, it's hard for the white blonde actress, but there's this amount of actors who have made it, so I'm going to do it like this. It was a blind, literally a blind Hail Mary. If I could dream it, I could do it. Almost like a hopeless romantic type dream. You know what? There's no data that supports this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I guess it's overwhelming because over the years since then, now we've created the data. So there's like shows and roles that like exist now. That's why, that's why it's overwhelming. It's great. It's great. Right. The fact that it could possibly affect others too is just like another layer on top of that. Because in general... Whenever you lose your sense of self, you want to try to figure out like what's going to make your younger self happy. Yeah. That's why it was so important for me to have you and so many people like you on, because to realize that even though I'm behind the scenes, there weren't even producers that I had known when I started in this business. Right. 20 something years ago. Now, and I've said this in past episodes, but I obviously knew I was Asian, but I never really had an outward burst of pride about being Asian until I walked out of the movie Crazy Rich Asians because mm -hmm. I was always like the weird kid with the weird lunches, the weird kid with the weird last name. I wish you were in my school because when I was mentioning about the kimbap lunches and stuff, yeah, the kid making fun of the weird smell. I was always the one who was like, wait, dude, can you trade with me? Sorry, mom. Can you trade my sandwich? I want to try some of that kimchi and bulgogi and so so i wish you were in school with me yeah i really wish you were either i was younger that would probably be better but and in your school but i just didn't have any of that and until i walked out of crazy rich asians did i really feel like 
such a celebration of my ethnicity. And I feel like you are a part of this group, especially with the cast of Kung Fu and the creators, certainly. You're creating that for so many people. And the fact that people all over the place watching Kung Fu and your work, you guys have recalibrated that what lens of how Asians are seen. I'm never going to have the experience that you have in terms of getting that fan feedback. Was there somebody that said something to you that really made you go, whoa, what you're doing is actually more than just a TV show. It's just, it's really resonating with people. Was there one experience that you could share with us right now, Mike? Like I've gotten DMs and stuff and people being so happy that I'm brought back and the reviews have been amazing. And think the big thing with me too, I guess is let's not only Asians who are getting sound or whatever, but like inspired by my work. It's fans from all different walks of life. And they're not only saying how much they like my character, which is so flattering, but they're also saying how much that like my energy is inspiring them. Mm-hmm. So that just means so much because I love, I don't know, I've always wanted to be like a camp counselor. I love that vibe of, oh my God, like sharing experiences and, oh, cool, guy, let's all go to, that activity looks cool. Let's all go to make that trip. Let's go snowboarding there. Let's go to Times Square. So the fact that I'm able to do this on a larger scale now versus just one summer, one cabin in a camp site, it's like the world is my summer camp right now. That's been so cool. Like I never got to be a camp counselor, but I guess now I can am. The fact that nice. if there's any sort of inspiration or any sort of role model dynamic happening, I'm so grateful for it. And it just means a lot. That's amazing. Let me ask you this. Now that you've navigated the perils and the tough mutter of Hollywood, which I need to say that I love what we do in the industry that we're in, but it doesn't negate the fact that it is a very volatile and fickle industry mm-hmm. that is very competitive and it can be really tough. Mm-hmm. But now that you've, you're in it, you're navigating this, you are doing the work as an actor. Was there a moment that was particularly challenging to you, either just as an actor or being as an other where you had to overcome it? And what did you learn from that moment that made you better and stronger and almost embracing really more of who you are at the core? And I don't mean just Asian, like Mike, you're more than just being half Korean, half Chinese. You as a person, as a whole, what was your one moment or one experience that you had that was maybe challenging, but you learned from it and you now draw strength from it? When I first started, I was seeing what my mom was talking about. So I got my first agent and manager and I was getting some success. But then when I was seeing the auditions I was getting, first of all, there were very few in terms of the numbers. Yeah. Now the data was coming in of I was getting maybe an audition a month. And then the ones that they that were coming in were very stereotypical representations of what an Asian person is. Things that I was fighting against I, my entire life. I had an identity crisis. Like, do I have to become this idea of what an Asian person is in America? Like, to be successful? Because I was reading these roles, and I was like, this is not what I'm like. I'm, I'm athletic. I'm not like this skinny guy who is like just a nerd i'm just not like this so should i become like this oh my god what do i value that was a big hurdle so that's when i realized like, okay you know what the most things happen in general in la and even though everyone's like don't go to la it's way more competitive there because yes there's more projects but also more actors but i was like kind of same mentality you got to play the lottery to win it yeah you got to try it anyway so i moved out there the next thing i booked this ABC diversity showcase. I came out here because I got to meet the ABC executives. So I had at least a little bit of foothold. But that was also challenging because, wow, now reflecting back on like three generations of my family, all New York, not even just East Coast, New York. So I'm like the first one who's going to the West Coast, creating my own, not only the acting stuff, which is hard as you're saying to get in, but the logistics of of it all on an island by yourself. I just kept that positive mindset of, okay, no, if you set your mind to it, you can do it. And also constantly learning, being open to learning things, realizing I don't have all the answers, taking different acting classes, and then seeing what other successful actors are doing and talking to them and like being a sponge and absorbing what's clicking, what's not clicking. And also recognizing what things people are responding to about me. Yeah, I've learned a lot from it. Acting is really challenging. I like to say that 
you like dating and getting ghosted, then the acting life is the life for you. <laughs> That's beautifully said. Because you got to audition and put yourself out there, right? And then be comfortable never hearing back. You have to be c- completely comfortable with that. That's kind of <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. I have some friends who are like, who are getting big auditions now, who are like, oh man, I just auditioned for this big thing. I hope I hear back soon. I hope I hear back soon. And that's a rookie error. You got to do it and then leave and not even just think about it. And not only that, like dating, you can't be needy. You can't be like, oh my God, please hire me. I'm on the guy for the job. It's like, no, no, no. You got to know. You have to know your work. That's really hard in this business, especially being Asian, because our roles are so few. Yeah. Ask me for the challenges. Holy shit. That's great. No, that's (laughs) great. What a great (laughs) attitude. I've never heard of it presented that way. Yeah, yeah. If you like dating, you're going to ghost it. It's It's a whole line of merch right there. You said early on, you walked into a room and you would see like, you know, John Perseda, all the people that you work with right now, all going for the same role, despite gender, despite age group, despite the fact that you guys look all different, whatever. Yeah. And I'm saying this specific to entertainment, but also going beyond that. So like widen it out a little bit. Do you feel that sense of competition anymore? Or do you feel like it's shifted towards a little bit more of a community? Like Mm. what's your take on sort of Asian dynamics, both specific to acting or entertainment and also widen it out as a whole in terms of the community? Do you feel more supported or do you still feel that sense of competition? Yeah, I, I'd say that a lot of times you can tell the early Asian actors versus the, the more experienced Asian actors by how they view this. I think when you start out early, it's so easy to be like, oh man, ever, to see all the other Asian actors as your enemy, as a competition. Because it's right, it's it's the most basic thing. Oh, I have the role, I'm auditioning for it, someone else is auditioning for it, you're my enemy. Right. But as the years go on, you realize, no, 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 wait a second. You see the bigger picture here. This one role that's being written as an Asian person, if I don't get it, hey, listen, you get it. Because once you get it and it's successful, that means you were the one for the job. In the zeitgeist, it's going to be like, oh, that's a cool Asian character. Let's write more cool Asian characters. So that role will create another role or two other roles. And then those shows in those other genres will create even more roles. So you see, it's like the whole saying of the rising sea lifts all the boats. So great. You really realize that. And then also it's a way less lonely existence. Like, no, be friends with all these people. I call them waiting room friends, which I'm sad actually now that doesn't exist really so much with Zoom auditions tested for a pilot this year. So post-COVID times now, right? So different than when I tested for Kung Fu two years ago. I'm friends with, I guess, my quote-unquote rival, J- JP, mm-hmm. who got the role in Kung Fu. I didn't get to meet anyone who I was auditioning against in this current year because I was just in a Zoom waiting room right here in my bedroom versus not being able to talk with anyone who was like, man, how'd it go, man? Oh, hope you get it. Hope I got it. Yeah. So the community has been so amazing to be a part of, especially in LA. I feel like the LA Asian community, it's not as big as you'd think. Okay. So when you meet people, you just it's a great community to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Be friends with these people. Don't reject them. Yeah. And good things have happened, clearly. It's that pessimistic view of, oh, there will only be one Asian role and that is it. Now on a show called Kung Fu, that's like full Asian cast. There was one episode where I was looking around and I was like, so Eddie and Ben on Kung Fu, we would see each other when it got down to the line for a lot of these roles, we were like testing for the same, a lot of times for the same role in the past years. Right. Because we are like Asian guys, young Asian guys, like romantic interest type characters. Yeah. And it was always down to like us in the room. Fast forward to present day, we're filming this episode of Kung Fu and we're looking around at each other and we're like, oh my God, we're all in the same one episode of TV together right now. Finally, Hollywood, I guess, is recognizing us Oh, we're all young Asian guys. We're all different young Asian yeah. guys. And you're playing this half Asian bad boy. I'm playing a K-pop star. You're playing this globetrotting Indiana Jones. Like We can be different. Right. So it's been great to see that growth. Was that the moment you realized like things were different for you? Or was there a different moment where it hit you where you're like, holy shit, the landscape is changing? That is definitely one of the aha moments. 
clearly there's a trend of me being like idealistic and wanting to those moments to exist finally. So yeah, that is definitely one of those moments of, oh, wow, the ideal has become irreal. Uh, yeah, you are the master of puns. Are we breaking into that right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. FYI, any people that don't like dad jokes, be warned. <laughs> I love it, but you... <laughs> the puns are here. You really do take it to a whole nother level with your puns. It's a mastery of it that you have. It's a muscle, actually. The more you do it, like, I just see puns everywhere now. Like, it's like I'm Neo in the Matrix. That's the thing that I also wanted to point out. I don't know yeah, if you've noticed yeah, yeah. this, but like, how you are as a person off screen is also leading the way mm. in terms of just your positivity and your good energy towards community building and recognizing other Asians that are doing the work and sharing their talents. And let me just say this, you know, for the listeners and also to you, none of this is specific to just Asians. Do you know what I mean? Like being seen and validated, mm -hmm. I think is just a human need. It's sort of just like a basic fundamental need that everybody wants to be recognized and validated yeah. and respected. Absolutely. I think Tom Hanks said something like that about how he approaches his roles. He approaches always like from a basic, what's the human need here for this character? And he said something to that effect of like, why are we here? How are we going to get through all this? And we're trying to find your tribe. Right. There's always that basic need that people are innately resonating with. And clearly we love his character. So he's doing something right. Yeah. When you were a kid, you know, your mom and your dad are like basically the most important people in your life. Yeah. When they tell you you will hit hurdles or you probably can't do it, it hits you harder, right? At least for me, it hit me a lot harder. Mm -hmm. But whatever you want to call it, mm. naivete or your idealism, you're undeterred by this, even though I'm sure you've hit some serious road bumps along the way. That's just called life. Mm -hmm. The fact that you are still leading by example as Mike, not Asian Mike, and not actor Mike, but Mike, like a good-hearted, positive person mm. that goes up and reaches out to other people, to building your tribe, building your community. I think that sense of competition or the it's you or me, that dynamic has shifted because of the person you are and people like you who share the same character traits and ideas and perspectives. I think that, and you tell me if you agree or not. I'm not saying that you don't go in like wanting to kill it, give it a hundred thousand percent. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your attitude and your approach to other people is still goodness and community building and giving people a hand up and connecting. You kind of exemplifying these ideas sort of helped change that landscape. And I think the dynamics would still be quite harsh if you and others weren't leading with your character as a person. Thank you so much for saying that. That's like, can you, can you write that all down and print that on my gravestone? So that'd be amazing. Well, this will be in the show, but <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that's what also helped change the landscape? Yeah, it's funny that you brought up my parents first, because like, I think, honestly, I have my parents to thank for that. They are the epitome of gregariousness and kindness and like the hostess with the mostest. I got into a car accident when I was in high school. Oh my God, okay. And then we found out like the parked car that like I got into a car accident with. And then, you know, it's a bad situation. And then we find out that that person went to high school with my mom. Wow. And all of a sudden he was like, oh my God, we love her. So my parents, have, I don't know if subliminally taught me how to be nice to people and be kind. Because I think that's the number one thing. And now I'm realizing what I've been talking to actors who are at this level of my career now, luckily it's been an upward trajectory. So a lot of my circle and community are actors who are booking things and working. And I would ask them like, okay, what's the next thing you would like to do? And back in the day, you know, when we were auditioning and not working yet, we would ask them, what's the thing you would like to do? And then it would be like, oh, work on this genre or that franchise and this. But now it's turning into I'll, honestly, I want to work with good people Aww. more so than the project itself. They want, they want to make sure that the people around them are good people. And I think that says a lot. Happy wife, happy life, but not wife. Happy community, happy life. Like, that's right. It's totally that. Yeah, we want to make good things with good people. Yeah. You feel like that's something that your parents taught you? My parents have just I, I, instilled in me 
a sense of maybe that's why I like superheroes so much and like Superman and things like that, because they've always instilled in me like a right thing to do mentality. Oh, you're being invited to this party. Okay, never go to the party empty handed. Bring this to them. Oh, bring this to the, the bring this to the teacher, yeah. and they'll, they'll really appreciate that. Or oh, something went wrong. Like write a handwritten letter to apologize because that's going to mean more. Things like that that my parents definitely taught me a, a sense of right thing to do. What has been the most empowering thing that has happened for you that you realize that you've made the change for other people? That the change happened for you, and you've now making that change for other people. So I, I made this short film about what we were talking about, about an Asian guy who feels too Asian with his white friends and too white with his Asian mm -hmm. friends and exploring that. And I feel like this could even be like a series or a movie that I want to even keep exploring more. It's called In Between. I wrote it with Taylor Chan from Wong Fu Productions, who's also he's like a fourth generation Chinese American, felt similar things, a similar upbringing. We put it on Wong Fu Productions on their YouTube channel. And the response was... I was expecting response of the Asian American experience. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, this is my life, which we did get a lot, but we also got a bunch of, of fans being like, oh, sometimes I don't feel black enough oh. or sometimes I don't feel Latino enough. And then also the hoppers, right? Like literally they're the living embodiment of, oh, I didn't know which table I had to sit at. Do I sit on the Asian table at school or do I sit on the white table at school? Right. Um, I think that was a very impactful moment in my life where I felt like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm not faking it. I didn't create this story out of nothing. I'm telling my truth and it's resonating with people. And I've been invited to different colleges to like screen it and then and speak about it. And that's been so amazing because when you meet them in person, it's not, the comments are amazing as, it, itself, but when you meet them in person, they're thanking you. Thank you for making that because that was what I experienced. Right. And not only that, but now I'm on your team. I want to support you more now after that. And it's in a weird way, what you're saying, like it's making more of a community, it's making this weird isolating thing smaller. We're all getting even more connected. It's interesting that you said that because the stories that you're telling is also not just exclusive to the Asian American community in terms of being too other for whatever, you know, not fitting into a category. And to reiterate again, I am not mixed and I still c can relate to that because I am not Asian enough for the Asian community, even though I'm 100% Asian. Yeah. And I'm certainly not white enough because I'm not white and I'm not Italian. Yeah. I think until now, did I actually find a community of people like you and others yeah. that kind of get that? And I didn't have that before. When you see that your story mm -hmm. is giving voice to people that go far beyond the Asian community or hapas or whatever, it really is a story about identity and belonging overall. When you see that your story is giving voice to so many people that transcend color. And it's really resonating. What does that tell you? It, it tells me I'm doing something right. It tells me that I'm not alone. I should keep telling more of my stories. And in a way that I'm not limited. And in, in the beginning of this whole journey, it was like, oh, your race is going to limit you. And that's not limiting. In a way, it's a strength. It's a way to be the universal now yes because i had that versus if i didn't have that right i wouldn't have made these connections I'm realizing that this is like public therapy <laughs> just getting, getting a lot of these realizations yeah you can sell me same same time next week right yeah yeah for sure i do think being a storyteller which is what you are stories can transcend all different barriers that's the power of storytelling from your point of view what can everyone do to continue that momentum? I think a lot of what my journey was in the beginning was, I guess, not being comfortable with who I was and like hide who I was and try to change it. But be comfortable with who you are and like tell your story because the more personal you are, the more universal you will be. Don't be afraid of who you are. I feel like Mufasa from The Lion King. You're way cooler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Simba, don't be afraid of who you are. Enjoy the hell out of being you, you know? That's so great. Mike, thank you so much. I'm going to ask you to sign us off, okay? Let me know who you are and what you represent. Yes. I am Mike Bow, and I represent the idea that everything you do is a rep. Is a what? Right. I guess some context. So when you work out, right? Oh, like repetition? The repetition. I was realizing this. The more pull-ups you do, the bigger your back will get, right? The more push-ups you do, the bigger your chest will get. 
So everything you do in life, the more you stand up straight, the, the better your posture will be. That mentality is the more you act, the better acting you get. The more you want to focus on growing this community, the more you put yourself out there, the better that social network will become. You create your habits and that creates the ideal that you have in your life. Also, this podcast is called Reppin'. So uh, couldn't uh, get rid of the pun there. Everything you do is a pin. That's a little bit meta. No, but, but honestly, it is, my, it is my mentality. Everything you do is a rep. So it just worked too perfectly. I was like, oh my God. Thanks for breaking that down. Okay, give me that one more time. Yep. Let me know who you are and what you represent. I am Mike Bowe, and I represent everything you do is a rep. Thanks so much to Mike Bowe for his time and for hanging out with me. He's just one of those talented, really good guys who has this incredible energy, positivity, and warmth. And he is someone who is out there every single day working to build people up. So you gotta go check him out. I'll have all of his links in the show notes. So definitely go follow him. Now, if you like this episode, you can support this podcast by sharing and subscribing and leaving a review wherever you're listening. And don't forget, I have been so lucky to have incredible past guests like Mary Beth Evans, an eight-time Emmy winner from General Hospital and Days of Our Lives, to Kimberly McCullough, actress from General Hospital and sought-after director for shows like High School Musical, the Musical, the Series, to Roswell, to Fantasy Island. I've had David Harewood on from Supergirl and Homeland, to Angie Thomas, a New York Times best-selling author, and so many others. They've all been guests, so go check out Reppin's back catalog and download them all. And I am continuing the Lunar New Year celebration with Ludi Lin, model and actor from Aquaman, Mortal Kombat, Power Rangers, and the CW's Kung Fu. I think there's a great irony that the people that you fail to celebrate or unjustly hurt become stronger leaders and representatives of a group of people that are unfairly treated as well. This is Ludi Lin, and I'm hanging out on Reppin with Evelyn. Stay tuned to our conversation coming up next. I had such a great conversation with him, so you don't want to miss it. Also, go check out my YouTube page. You're going to see some behind-the-scenes footage, clips of the show, and on my Instagram, you'll see some extra goodies there and announcements of who my next guests will be. So follow me there at Reppin underscore podcast, and you can always DM me. Join the conversation, hit me up, and let me know your thoughts. Always love and thanks to my amazing squad. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.